Hello, citizens of Mobius, and welcome to Circuit Court Entertainment, where we look at where laws and history affect all sorts of media. Today, we have a legal battle for you, one that involves one of the most iconic video game characters, Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic is a bright blue, very fast hedgehog that debuted on Sega Systems in 1991 and quickly became one of the best-selling games of the year and established Sega as a valid competitor to Nintendo in the home market. This was in the 80s and 90s, where the line between ad and entertainment was suddenly allowed to be blurred. Yes, this will absolutely be another episode someday. Did you know there was a Rambo Kids show? So many companies took advantage of that blurriness, including Sega. Sega approached ABC, apparently in early 1992, about making two TV shows about Sonic. One was a syndicated after-school series that was to be the sillier of the two, The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, which debuted in 1993. The other leaned into the horror aspect of these games, where Dr. Eggman, then Dr. Robotnik, had been waging a war of pollution, roboticization, and fascism on the citizens of Mobius, and winning. Sonic and his friends, such as Tails the Fox and Sally Acorn, a squirrel, are putting up a good fight, but it's always on a knife's edge. This one was called Sonic the Hedgehog, but is often called Sat AM due to its Saturday morning time slot, and it also debuted in 1993. And like many series at the time, it ended on a cliffhanger. It was, however, very successful in another medium, comic books. RG Comics, another competitor to the big two of DC and Marvel, well, I can't find any market stats for Archie during this time. I've gone through the Diamond Archives, the people who record the sales data, and nothing. Which means either it was so low that the numbers weren't recounted, or more likely, at that point in time, Archie did not report their data to Diamond. When the comic book market crashed in the mid-90s, I believe Archie comics were less directly affected than the big two names. Unlike DC and Marvel... Their comic book series are either licensed or slice of life. They had a magazine-style release usually and were often in supermarkets and therefore unlikely to deal with the comic book cover speculation that took down DC and Marvel causing... Well, I covered it in my first episode. And one of the licenses Archie had was Sat AM. Sat AM eventually ran for almost 25 years, making it the longest-running licensed comic book ever. While it did initially follow the general Sat.am plot, seeing mostly ambiguously canon stories and self-contained stories, it eventually took on its own continuity, in some ways being the planned third season of the TV show, and in other ways what worked better for its characters. Its main writer was, for the most part, a man named Ken Penders, and things went along, let's say, quietly. On the game side of things, well, Sonics was in its ups and downs, Due to a very complicated set of circumstances, including the console wars, supply problems, the 3D jump, and cost of making versus selling games, Sega left the home market in 2001. While they still had Sonic, he wasn't selling as well as he did in the Hades of the 90s, when Sega does what Nintendo don't, and his attitude set him apart from other mascots such as Mario. A few years later marked the dual failures of 2005's Shadow the Hedgehog, where Shadow, the ultimate lifeform, cements himself as the ultimate edgelord by using a gun and swearing. And 2006's Sonic 06 
which is widely regarded as Sonic's low point because between its glitchy gameplay and being known as that time when Sonic died so a human girl kissed him and Trula's kiss brought him back to life, but also unleashed the ultimate evil, it was tough to be a Sonic fan then. So, Sega began to reorganize, and while not exactly reboot Sonic, things were brought more to one Japanese-centered continuity, such as Robotnik getting his name changed back to Eggman. The Sally M comics were the last bastion of those who liked Sally Acorn and her freedom fighters. One of the early projects to come out of it, and what I'm pretty sure is my first Sonic game, was a 2008 DSRPG by Bioware Games called Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood. Bioware, at that time mostly known for its action and role-playing games, such as Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, were a pretty good pick for the Sonic game. And, though I fully admit I am biased, the game itself is honestly a great stab at turning Sonic's speed-based gameplay into an RPG. Characters had unique moves for exploration and gameplay. Being on the DS meant you had to do certain movements or rhythms in order to do the special moves that linked to each character, and the playable cast had characters who were not usually playable, like Eggman, Cream the Bunny, and Big the Cat. The plot involved Knuckles, the last echidna, trying once again to save the stolen Master Emerald, only to find a group of space echidnas had stolen it in an attempt to stop an interdimensional villain from taking the power of the Master and the Chaos Emeralds. It was fun. It had potential. It, most importantly, had a cliffhanger. So, uh, why did the sequel never come out? Well, sure, Bioware had gotten busy with their surprise hit game Dragon Age, but they were interested. In fact, the developer diary on YouTube, Greg Zitschuk, the president of Bioware, talked about how the world of Sonic is much broader and richer than most people realize. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are, of course, fans of the TV shows and comics, and they know that there's a lot there. So it was a great chance for us to actually look at this huge bunch of stuff. And the CEO, Raymond Muzaki, compared it to a big toy box. Did you know gaming even managed to find the hypothetical plot of a sequel? However, while its scores were better than the other Sonic titles of the era, they were still fairly mixed. In addition, the sales numbers that we have show it wasn't particularly successful. Not to mention, Bioware had been bought out by EA, who were not interested in a Sonic license. But those weren't what killed the possibility of Sonic Chronicles 2. It was the San A.M. comics and their writer, Ken Penters. Since Sega hadn't paid much attention to the San A.M. comics, they were doing their own thing. And boy, howdy were they. Penders had a fascination with the Echidnas and had spent a lot of time expanding their history and power set. His claim was that the Dark Brotherhood had too many similarities to stories he wrote and characters he created. Whether or not he could sue, well, that was a whole other problem. If you cast your mind back to my Friday the 13th episode, hey, two callbacks. I wonder if I can get Sahara in here. I talked about the difference between being hired by a company and work for hire. Most comic book writers are work for hire, but in the worst possible way. They get a flat rate and no control or real residuals over their characters. Famously, this is partly why Jack Kirby of Marvel left to join DC, and Steve Ditko died in apparent poverty. But on the more recent side of things, it's caused some waves due to the success of the MCU. Several creators have talked about how they didn't receive compensation or give input when their characters jumped from the pages to the screen. So, what was Ken Pender's creations? 
Why did he think he could sue? Well, Kim Penders was fascinated by the echidna potential and got to start writing Knuckles' spinoff comic line in 1993. One of the major additions was the Brotherhood of Guardians, which was a group of ambiguously good echidnas. He also added the Dark Legion, which were also a group of evil echidnas. Both echidna societies were previously unknown to Knuckles the echidna. Since Sega and Archie weren't paying much attention to the line, and Knuckles' backstory and personality were not fleshed out in the games yet, Penders did his own thing. Knuckles grew to be a god in canon, no, that is not an exaggeration, and had his own group of shadowy organizations, cities of secret echidnas, and even its own love interest in future children. But the Penders scripts had also been known to be a bit off in tone. For example, a plotline that's famous in Sonic fandom involved Knuckles' dad, a member of the Brotherhood of Guardians, having a nightmare, altering Knuckles' DNA to give him his, well, Knuckles, taking him to the wilderness, putting him through borderline abusive training while telling him that they were the only two echidnas left alive. Then his dad faked his death in front of Knuckles when Knuckles was 10 and left Knuckles alone while he and the rest of the Brotherhood of Guardians watched Knuckles through cameras. Then when he got on the main comics, he continued the echidna-centered plot lines while introducing more and more characters to the comics. And these characters would sometimes grow more important than some of the actual Sonic characters. Ken Penders, very protective of his characters, decided to do something sneaky and copyrighted them. He did it over the next few years, and with him still working on the comics. And Sega and Archie both being hands-off and assuming they own the characters, it went quietly. Until Sonic Chronicles, who the programmers did reference that they had looked at Sonic media outside of games, created a secret group of space echidnas with a complicated backstory called the Dark Brotherhood, and one, a girl, who grows to like Knuckles and becomes an ally. With that, Ken Penders pointed to his own groups and characters and said Bioware had stolen it. It's a bit hard to track down what actually happened with that, as Archie and Sega aren't talking, and Ken Penders is known for being a bit litigious and interested in his own creativity. In addition, the relevant legal documents are not available online. But going from several sources, such as Bleeding Cool's initial reporting and TSSZ's Intelligineers and the amazing Sally Hogan's wrap-ups, along with other incidental reports, this is what I've pieced together. Sega was a bit more hands-off and let Archie do its own thing. Theoretically, all characters created by Archie Comics were to be owned by Sega. But something with the paperwork left it vague and Penders jumped to copyright the characters he created which, while not technically permitted by the U.S. Copyright Office, they don't really investigate what is sent in to be copyrighted is valid for the person to copyright. Penders then left Archie Comics in 2006, and this is where Sonic Chronicles comes in. Once Penders heard about it, Penders sued Sega and Archie Comics. Archie countered with Penders having broken his own contract. The problem was, much like Friday the 13th, no one had the contract. Penders at least didn't produce one, and the one Archie produced was a photocopy, and as it was not the original document, it could not be used since it could have been altered in Archie's favor. Penders continued to argue that since he owned the characters, he needed to approve all re-releases and uses of them, such as reprints of the comics and using the characters in the ongoing comics. He would go on Twitter and complain about other writers using his characters. This was eventually all solved out of court. 
Sonic and Archie comics completely rebooted the universe in a crossover with Mega Man, and partly to get rid of all the Penders characters. Over 200 characters were completely gone, as were their arcs. What remained were characters from the original set AM, such as Sally, and the characters definitely owned by Sega, such as Sonic, Knuckles, Tails, Shadow, Amy, etc. Penders, on his end, was allowed to own his characters and make comics with them, as long as they were visually distinct from Sonic characters. Archie's lawyers noted they should have pushed harder on the whole, if they are in the comics, Sega and Archie own it part of the contract. And Sega openly considered this much more trouble than it was worth. The comics are based on a long-ago cancelled TV series with characters Sega barely acknowledged anymore. This shouldn't have been the mess that it was. In 2016, Sega ended the contract with Archie Comics, and in 2017, IDW got the Sonic license, and a fresh slate. I haven't read them, but several Sonic fans I follow online do, and they are really happy with it. The comics, however, have nothing to do with San AM. Sally Acorn and the rest of the cast are gone. And with it goes some of the last relics of pre-2005 Sonic and early 90s licensing, when people could get a bit wild for the sake of the story. Once again, there was a Rambo cartoon aimed at children. And that's not even touching some of the stuff in Ninja Turtles and Sailor Moon. Sega also finally made the jump to the big screen, something that they had been toying with for a while. The Set AM director even reported giving Sega a pitch for the Set AM movie, and Ken Penders gave a competing pitch that focused more on his own stuff. Neither were ever made, but Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, did race into theaters in February 2020, being one of the last movies in theaters before they closed to the pandemic. The budget was 85 to 90 million, and the box office in the truncated run was 315 million. The sequel did even better with its slightly increased budget. To put it in perspective, the budget for Sonic 2020 was roughly half of Sahara's, and they made about three times as much in a shortened run. Ha! Told you I'd get Sahara in there. On the Ken Pender side, there hasn't been much movement. He's put out a few teasers for his own version of the story, and is Alex Caseying the Sonic characters he needs for his story, mostly Knuckles. But the last big update on the plot was in 2014. Supposedly, it will come out soon. Pre-orders start in late 2023 and supposedly stop in January 2024. But the world has moved on. Comic book writers and creators do need to be better compensated and credited. It wasn't until 2015 that Bill Finger finally got credit for his part in creating Batman. And that's Batman. Many other creators have been lost to time or not paid enough or at all for reprints of their comics or when they showed up in other media especially when they aren't the leads. And that's before we get into licensed comics like Sonic. At the same time, the actions of Ken Penders caused a lot of disruption for comics fans, and while Sonic Chronicles 2 was probably never going to happen due to Bioware being bought out in the first game's lackluster sales, there's a high chance it led to the end of Sally and their fellow Sad AM characters, and soured what remained the legacy of his genuinely impressive long run as the lead of the Sonic comics. Comics don't run for 24 years by being bad all the time. And while creators' rights are important, this could have been solved with a clear contract made with respect, credit, and compassion. On all sides. Something I hope comics do in the future. Before they enter the public domain.
Thank you for listening to Circuit Court Entertainment. If you found this episode interesting, please tell others as this is a new podcast. Please subscribe on all the major podcast services. And you can find me on Twitter at CCEPod. This episode was written, edited, and recorded by me, Mina. The script was edited by CJ Peterson. Podcast art by Empress Cirque on Twitter. Thank you for your time, and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye.